I want to take a moment to share with you about a practice that I've enjoyed incorporating into my personal monthly routine and one that I'm so excited to become your new favorite healing ritual because we just launched our own version for our community to experience as part of their well-being routine called Womb Protector, a blend of pelvic steaming herbs. Pelvic steaming is a long forgotten practice that's been used for centuries across many cultures. We created our own kit and herbs for the most user-friendly, elevated steaming experience, allowing modern-day women the opportunity to reconnect to the ancestral wisdom of the womb. At the fullest, we believe that mental health is the foundation of wellness. Our mood affects every aspect of our lives, so self-care is an important tool that we have to stay well. So when we realize that even just steaming once every 28 days can improve emotional and mental conditions such as depression, anxiety, and fatigue, we knew it was important to bring this ancestral ritual to the forefront of holistic wellness. I personally used it postpartum with both my children to heal tender tissues that may have been stretched or torn during the birthing process. Steaming consecutively over the first week after giving birth can help speed up recovery and support the mother in reconnecting with her body. Our womb protector blend of pelvic steaming herbs is formulated specifically for gentle monthly support and also aids in conception, fertility, postpartum healing, and even preventing recurring UTIs and infections. Use code the fullest podcast at checkout for 15% off our product line and experience the beauty of tapping into your intuition and starting your own pelvic steaming journey. Hi everyone, welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is someone who I've followed along with for a while now, and I'm just so, so excited to share with you Kelly Garza. She's the founder of Steamy Chick and the Perry Steam Hydrotherapy Institute. She raises awareness about vaginal steaming. She makes it more accessible. She, you know, gets all the supplies that you can find on her website and um, so much more. She does a lot of training and that's where I received a lot of my education along with um, other women that I've worked with. And I'm just so, so grateful to have you on to share your wisdom with us today, Kelly. I'm so excited to be here and I can't (laughs) wait to chat with you and learn more. Oh, well, thank you. I know it wasn't easy to get all the way down here, but it just worked out so well. I know it's crazy. Like you're in Hawaii and then it just all came together. And, um, I just, I've been following along, like I said, for a while, and I'm so inspired by all that you're sharing, and not just around specifically vaginal steaming, but womb care in general, and just women's well-being, and just bringing an outside perspective to the mainstream medical model that we see in this country, and so yeah, I know that this is like such a lost art in sharing this wisdom, and you're your company is just so important in bridging that gap for women. And I'm curious, like how you like started the company and what brought you to this field of work? Okay, great. And I wanted to say the same and I I love it. Like I can tell that you get it right away (laughs) and that your brand, the fullest supports like that natural living and women as well. Um, The way I got started, well, I got started because I heard about steaming. And um, at first, like, you know, I learned about it in L.A. Like, you know how you go to L.A. and you learn about things you never heard about before? Exactly. (laughs) It's kind of like one of those experiences, right? Like, I always hear everything first in L.A. Yeah. So I heard about steaming. Um, 
I heard it from a Guatemalan womb healer who was doing a workshop and at the end of it, she just mentioned like, in, like before everybody left, she's like, oh, by the way, if anybody has period pain or cramps, like you could steam. And she did a little demonstration of like squatting over something. And I was just like, weird, you know, but yeah. we're in LA, so it's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I never thought about it. I never like connected. I never thought I would do it. But then the next year, my period was missing. I had gone through something traumatic and my period like, you know, was just like, mm, I'm not coming now. Like, nope. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving, right? And so I, I, I went for several months, no period. And this had happened before, but I, I never really cared. I was just like, whatever, who cares? Like less things to worry about. So then um so then in this case though, I felt like really emotionally out of control. And I just felt like I couldn't like base myself. Like I just didn't feel like myself. And so I was like, I need to figure this out. And so I started to like, you know, try to think about what was going on. And I realized, oh, I'm having a hormonal imbalance because I don't feel like myself. I feel that like something chemically is taking me over, yeah. you know, like like my personality. So I was like, oh, OK. I was like, well, hormonal imbalance, maybe that's connected to missing a period, you know. So yeah. then I was like, oh, I was like, so maybe if my period comes, like it will help. And so for the very first time in my entire life, I was like, how do I make my period come, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's such a weird question to pose, you know? I'd never, you know, thought, you know, I needed it, right? Oh, well, it's, yeah, and yeah. today's world, they're like, take a pill. Yeah. You don't ever have to get your period at all anymore. Just take the pill 24-7, never stop. And I wonder what that does. I know. Like, when I can think, like, for a few months, like, what it felt like. Yeah. Like, what if we're just functioning? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, with this level of hormonal imbalance. Like, so anyway, so I was like, okay, no, I need to fix this. So, um, so I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh, I got a vaginal steam. And so I started searching. This was 2011. Wow. Online, there were zero search results for vaginal steam at the time. So I was like, okay. So I, you know, I kept That's on further. Insane. I know. I kept on going further and further. And, um, I found that it's something that Koreans do. Now, mind you, I had heard about it, that it was a Guad yeah. Guatemalan thing. So I learned that Koreans do it and that I could do it at the spa. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. So I found a Korean spa and I went there and I was like, I want to do a vaginal steam. And they were like, Americans don't really do yeah. this. And I'm like, oh, but can I? You know, yeah. <laughs> like they were like all like weird about it. So they set me up right next to this receptionist and like gave no me like way. this big, like, <laughs> you know, this big like plastic, you know, like cloak and they were like okay have a seat and i was like here <laughs> you know and so they were like um people coming in and out and That's looking at insane. me and i was like oh my gosh i was like this is not ideal for me but i did it i sat there and the spot owner came and we had a conversation and i learned some things i learned wow. that steaming is used in korea for like anytime there's any period issues they were like oh yes it will definitely bring back your period and they said like in korea steaming is used for a like as a preventative method so at least once a month at the end of the period in order to finish cleaning everything out and i was like okay cool you know and so um so i went home and i tell you within a matter of hours my period came but it was different it was the best period I'd ever had Aww. right and that's like weird to think about like but you just know it you mm -hmm. like it was healthy yeah and at that point when I saw that period I was like oh all of my other periods I've ever had like since my first period were unhealthy mm -hmm. the the difference was this period was fresh red blood my periods were usually brown Mm -hmm. And I remember asking the gynecologist when I had my first appointment, they were like, do you have any questions? I was like, yeah. I was like, is my period blood supposed to be brown? And they were like, 
is it always brown? And I was like, yeah, always. And they were like, then that's normal for you. Oh my Just, gosh. you know, like if it ever changes, like make an appointment. <laughs> so now my period changed a lot, but I didn't feel like I needed to make an appointment. I was like, this is right. The information they gave me is wrong. doesn't make yeah. sense. Like that was wrong. Like that brown blood was stagnation. Exactly. It was old yeah. menses, you know, and I knew it. And so... Um, and then I had this like sweeping feeling of like just peace come over me, like when the period came to. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, like I've understood like the importance of that mm-hmm. to women, you know, and not only that, how the steaming was able to get my period to that after just one steam session. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold on steaming, but I don't want to do it in public. I'm a very private person. Yeah. So I made my own stool. I made my own chair. Like I MacGyvered it. All right. Wow. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. So I MacGyvered a chair, put some things together. It wasn't like cute or anything, but yeah. it was like the way I was going to do it at home. And, you know, I picked some herbs and then I started my own steam practice at home. So how did this start a business? I don't, actually no like sometimes I think about I'm like how did I start you know doing this like I you know I have classes I educate you know about steaming like full-time about the benefits of it I never told anybody about it but it was when I was postpartum and I heard what all my mom friends were going Mm -hmm. through that I was just like why don't you try steaming you know and um and then as people started to implement it they were having like crazy results, like miraculous results. And then they started spreading word of mouth. So it was first, it was just something that I told my friends about and I would make herbs for them. And very shortly, friends of friends who didn't know me were contacting me and saying, hey, my friend gave me your number. Can you make some herbs for me? Wow. Um, this is what I'm going through. Like um, what, you know, what herbs do I need and what steam schedule? you know, like how often should I steam, right? So they're asking me all these questions. And so I, as I was trying to answer all these questions, at a certain point, I was like, let me just put this into a course. Yeah. So I started an online course that answered all the questions. What is vaginal steaming? What are the benefits? Where is it from? You know, what herbs do I need? How often should I steam? And that's kind it of just how like it just turned into yeah, yeah. training others. And yeah, I have 4,000 people from wow. all over the world in 30 different countries in my classes. That's incredible. So it was like, people were thirsty for this information so what it made me understand is like i didn't understand this you know what i mean like i had my issue i steamed but like basically women are thirsty for other options Mm -hmm. and that's when i learned people aren't satisfied with the options that they're getting at the doctor or they're going through those options and um and then they're still not resolving the issue or they're creating other issues so like women are really looking for like a natural alternative yeah and i think that going a lot of acupuncturists even and midwives they're just in this country are just now dipping their toes into it as well like a lot of them know about it but maybe haven't practiced it with their clients and so like your course is so incredible to also help integrative medicine um you know functional medicine doctors acupuncturists other even ob ob's anyone that wants to kind of dive in and offer it to their clients yeah totally well I started to like, I'm just, I'm kind of curious, you know, and I'm into international topics. I have my, my degree is in international development. And so remember I learned it was Guatemalan and then, um, I learned that it was Korean. Yeah. And then the last, the next thing I learned was that it was Ghana. It was done in Ghana for wow. postpartum care. Yeah. So I was like, where, wh- like, 
where is this really from? And so I continued to look and I found records that like from all over the world. Like when you look at like ancient records or like the first books, like, so you mentioned um, acupuncture. I mean, all of the old Chinese books like talk about steaming yeah. and they do both steaming and smoking. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, that's the like, other thing. Yeah, yeah, smoking. Like there's books thousands of years old with, with remedies, but not only China, like there's an old Italian book from the 1100s that has steam remedies in it. You know, that was the first female physician, you know, and she wrote down like her, you know, her remedies and steaming was part of it. Like, you know, wow. there's not one, any part of the world that steaming wasn't done so then Iranian just, culture too for postpartum yeah where? my mom was telling me Iranian oh no yeah, way yeah, yeah. Your, and your mom did it my mom was telling me about it when I started like getting into it and launching the product she's like you know that we use this in our I was like obviously because you know everything goes back to our culture for right? sure like I found like old Babylonian records of mm -hmm. steaming as well and so it's like um there's just nowhere in the world where women weren't practicing this so then I was like wait what happened then like yeah. why why did I just learn about it like in my 30s yeah like how did it get lost and then that became another interesting like piece of it which is that men like the modern gynecology that we have right now is like a male form of gynecology mm -hmm. that started in the 1800s everything that happened prior to that kind of got lost when that transition happened so like women's health was in the hands of women and female physicians and midwives in particular. We call them midwives, but really they're female physicians. Yeah. right? And then there was this really kind of abrupt transition it, where women like gynecology changed to the hands of men, but also they didn't learn. It's not like they all went to like midwifery school yeah. <laughs> and then learned it. Yeah. It just changed. There was a law that changed and all of a sudden women weren't allowed really to practice in the same way anymore. And so then men were like, women, interesting, mm -hmm. <laughs> having babies. And so they developed all these things that you know, again, they didn't learn what was working for women before, mm -hmm. which was steaming. <laughs> like yeah. Women were steaming for everything. Yeah. Right? They were like, mm, labor, you know, they, they, that's when they put women on the table. They were like, we can't really see what's going on. That's not naturally how women birth. Women birth like on their hands and knees and hammocks, like in all different kinds of positions, but never laying on our back. But it was that transition where yeah. men were like, well, we can't really see what's going on down there. So put her on the table so that I can see it. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, mm, the, the vaginal opening is too small. Let's cut it. Oh like my gosh. The episiotomies, yeah, which were standard. Like yeah. even now in, in some places, episiotomies are standard just because men didn't think babies could come through. Right. They, yeah. They didn't tap into their wisdom like women could. I mean, yes, science is involved, but tap women didn't need to see. They could feel like my midwife when I, I gave birth to my daughter, yeah. um, my second child in the bath like she didn't need to see anything she just knew she just understood where I was at it wasn't yeah. like I need to look but she also has thousands and thousands exactly. of years of knowledge exactly. like I was just thinking about I wouldn't take over anything without asking yeah the former person who was in charge of that like I wouldn't you know what I mean like if I was going to take over some if I was going to watch somebody's child I would want to know what I needed to know exactly. do you know what I mean like yeah. how could that, how could men take over women's medicine without learning what we were doing right I know. and so based on all, all of my findings based on like all of my research this is an absolute universal universal practice the only places where we don't like if you go back far enough this is what women were doing mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's the midwives who still have the knowledge like mm -hmm. if you go to like rural areas like midwives are sometimes the ones that remember mm -hmm. um and 
it was done, you know, in the home. It was done, you know, by medicine women. Like, you know, it was something that like there was everybody had knowledge of. But the really cool thing about looking and, and going back and researching the history of steaming was finding out that, um, first of all, the one like the one universal use of steaming that was used everywhere was postpartum. Yeah, that's, that's like the is. steaming like superstar. Mm -hmm. Right. But then in other places it was used like in Germany. I found a midwife book, a midwifery book that says it was used during labor. Um, in Haiti, it's used after somebody is assaulted. Wow. They would steam the for person. For the trauma? Immediately, yes. In Korea, it's used for cramps and all the ailments, infections, endometriosis, any uterine disorders, and, and all of Asian medicine, steaming is going to be part of. For all like gynecological issues, steaming mm -hmm. is going to be a part of, you know, like the treatment. So um, I really love that we're like rediscovering this yeah. and like reclaiming it now in the information age because now we can then exchange that as yeah. well it's just like learn like you know some of the uses of it that maybe our lineage wasn't using mm -hmm. you know but now we can like learn that um that it can be used for everything yeah it makes sense i came to it with my postpartum care that's how i found out about it and then i used it both you know births after both births but then in my second birth, I used it. I did like a cleanse before conception, um, with my daughter. And nice. so I, that's when I started incorporating it outside of postpartum and yeah. then, you know, like learning from you. And I know you did like the fourth trimester study yeah. and cause there aren't that many studies that people feel are like very credible. So you got together with another woman. I absolutely love Kimberly Johnson, yeah. who's a friend of mine. And I, I definitely want to hear about that because I, I have come across research, like even you saying in terms of your own personal um, experience, like even just one steam every 28 days cycle can elevate your mood even um aside from I mean obviously your mood is connected to your hormones right so it's all just like balancing your hormones but I want to hear about that yeah oh my gosh wait I have a question so then when you so then when you were steaming postpartum was that when your mom was like wait we do my, this yeah my mom's like oh this is something that we do you know everything she comes to everything in Iran they do this I'm like why didn't you tell me oh wait she didn't tell you before she didn't tell me before and I'm like why didn't you tell me she's like I, I just forgot and I'm like but she's also one of those people that like got duped like from getting a hysterectomy on accident from her like in a surgery like they she's like I didn't know and so when you were just telling me I was like it's so true they go in there they do surgeries that they don't fully tell you the repercussions of it or what's going on and women are just unaware of what's being done to their bodies and yeah my mom is so connected to our culture I mean I didn't speak English until I was five years old yeah. and my entire family had immigrated here like from my dad's side. So I was just constantly around my aunties and my grandmother. And so they, but they were also becoming more Americanized. So like when I was younger, I was really in it. Right. And yeah. they, I would learn about like in Iran, we have like hot and cold foods and like why you shouldn't, you know, eat yes. certain things, obviously just in womb care, like yeah. you want to eat warming foods and all that. Obviously, yeah. Saffron's warming. I mean, I'm really yeah. connected to that whole situation, but it was something I learned at a really young age. And then as they got older, they started leaning more into pharma and the way of life here. And now they're totally, you know, it doesn't feel like the same as when I was younger, but and when I was younger, I kind of rejected it a little bit because I wanted to fit in once I went to school. Yeah. 
And now I'm like craving that. So I'm thirsty for culture and I want everyone to tap in to their culture because I, that's what's so cool about the United States is we're all coming from somewhere that we can hopefully connect back to yeah. and bring it back here. And then not just only be in what the Iranians did, but take from all these different cultures and incorporate the practices they did. But yeah, my mom, like postpartum, yeah, was how I came into it. And then she was like, oh, we do this. And they do all the other things like belly binding and, you know, making sure you have saffron right after birth because uh, for a postpartum drink, it's so important to help support your serotonin and dopamine and everything that, you know, you just went to an inflammation for healing. It's a warming beverage. Um, so women drink saffron right after giving birth. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So did your mom steam after she gave birth to you guys? So she did no. So she only did like the binding. Okay. And she and the foods probably what? And she also took uh, like had saffron or some yeah sort of yeah. Foods. Okay. So that and then there's this other thing that they eat. It's um. It's halva. I don't know if you know, but it's like butter and saffron and it's sweet. Like yeah. you need to eat the sweetness. Yeah. For some reason, there's like that, um, a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. But anyway, so she did that, but she didn't do the steaming because she was 20 and 22 when she had us and she was like kind of by herself in this country, like yeah. without. Oh, she was here. She was here. Oh, she wasn't I with her she mother. You guys. Okay. She was with my dad's mom. and. Um, so your grandma's. Yeah would have done it they did it in iran exactly but because yeah. your mom was here she yeah, didn't yeah. do it and this I is know. another reason why it gets lost exactly because yeah. you move from your family and i mean even though you might be right here she's with her in-laws in a house and they're they're making food but not really you know it's just lost <laughs> oh my gosh that's yeah. so sweet like okay so i have a lot of persian friends and i've been totally like you know, like, hey, do you guys do this? Hey, have you ever heard of this? And like, so a lot of people didn't know about it. But finally, one of my friends was like, yes. Yeah. But what I was what I tell people is like, ask your grandma, ask your mom, ask them when was the last person somebody in our family was delivered by a midwife? Midwife yeah. is kind of like my key when yeah. I when I was doing the research was like, OK, let's key into the to the midwives, because even one of my friends I was talking to from Nicaragua and she was like, um, she was like, what do you do? And I was like, I make herbs for steaming. Like, I was like, do, do you guys do that down here? And, she, and she's like native and stuff. And she was just like, no, no. And and then, I, and then I was like, what about after you give birth? And she was like, oh. and then like you saw the memory come yeah. back. And she was like, yes. She said the old midwives used to steam us after we gave birth. And she was so like, actually, I steamed after my first two births. <laughs> she yeah, you just kind of forget because you're in that like zone, you yeah. know, where I feel like it's, it's something that's sometimes easy to forget, even though it's yeah. so miraculous. And she goes, and it felt so nice. Mm -hmm. She goes, it felt so nice. Really? She says, when I think about it, she says it was such a sweet memory. She said, but she said, I said, so then what happened with the other baby? She said, I went to the hospital. Yeah. And so it's kind of like seen as development. It's mm -hmm. seen as like progress to be able to go to the hospital. Exactly. But then you lose that care. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, and you know what? She's like in the hospital. She's like, they didn't do nothing like that for <laughs> yeah. us. You know what I mean? Like, and she was only just reflecting on that now that there was this really big disconnect between the care that she was receiving from the women versus the care that she received, you know, from the men. But what was really beautiful about it was that 
she was dealing with um, like, you know, pelvic pain and, and discomfort from like prolapse, which is a postpartum, yeah. you know, like something that Terrifying. has to, like, that's one of the reasons why you steam postpartum is to prevent prolapse or to prevent prolapse from happening later. So she was dealing with prolapse and also fibroids and she wasn't able to walk very well. You know, she wasn't able to walk very far. So she was like, all right, I'm going to get my herbs and I'm going to get my bucket and I'm going to steam. And wow. so she did. And she called me so excited the next day. And she was like, today I walked a mile and I felt zero pain wow. and to think that quickly right that quickly she had that change like it's this is why i'm just like ah like i don't know how or why like it's my job to educate the world about the benefits of steaming but like we have to like yeah. women are like i can't believe what women are going through like i I didn't ever like ask to know, like people started but coming they to tell me, you, can yeah. you make herbs for me and telling me what they were going through. And I was like, it's like horrifying, you know, there's a lot of I, women that have reached out to me that experience so much pain, like not, it's not necessarily during sex, but after sex and just like feeling raw or having UTI and yeah. having, and there's so many people dealing with infections yeah. that I just never knew about before. Like you can't notice it because no. like women are so well put together. Yeah. And but then they're like, I'm in so much pain. What do I do? What do I do? Do I take this antibiotic? I don't even want to take an antibiotic anymore. This and this. <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, everyone's so unique. So I need to like really think about your experience. And there's, yeah. So, I mean... Okay, the anim okay, so yes, like, but to go on that, like sometimes people like criticize me and they're like, you're not a doctor. Like, why are you telling women and helping people with their infections? And I'm like, they've, they, if, if they're having a problem, they should go to the doctor. And it's like, yeah, but do but you know what's don't. happening? Like they've already taken the antibiotic 10 times. And it didn't work. And it just work. came back. Yeah, exactly. They've it's already removed them. the fibroids yeah. and they came back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so why is that the expert care if it keeps coming back? It's not getting to the root. And that's what I love about steaming and what you were sharing. It's emotionally, it's healing the trauma. It's not just also physically helping with like maybe the pH and everything going on in the womb. But it's, it's what I always say about healing in general, when you're able to un I feel like the best time to unlock your healing is when you're working on the physical and the emotional together and they come together in this beautiful way and it feels like this miraculous healing, but you're addressing the whole body and mental health has so much to do with it. And so I feel like that's what I love about the vaginal steaming specifically with that in terms of emotional health. Okay, for real. Yeah. Like I feel you on that. And it's really interesting, like... um you know, I, 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 you know, when people were coming to me and they were telling me their period issues, I, I go to acupuncture and I know that acupuncturists can read the period. So yeah. I would, I partnered with, um, with Chris Gonzalez and I would have her do an intake and let me know what imbalances the person had. But I was also studying how to be able to read it myself so I can read people's periods and tell what imbalances they have based on ancient traditional Chinese medicine. Right. And so what was, what's fascinating to me about you know, Asian medicine is there's actually no disconnect between the physical and, mm -hmm. the, and the emotional, mm -hmm. right? Or the spiritual, like they're all one. So for example, if you have stagnation in your period, you have stagnation in your life. Like they don't consider a disconnect yeah. between those, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, like the emotional thing is, it's so hard. I mean, what do we do? We talk to therapists, we talk to friends, like it's, but it's so hard, right? Like for example, if somebody who has been assaulted, like, what do we do for them, right? Like, what do we do for them, right? We can talk to them, like, we can love them. But um, one of the things I started to identify is, like, we're not actually looking at the physical repercussions of the assault that they went through, right? Like, if somebody's period is missing afterwards, or if they have pain now with sex, 
or if they have infections now with sex, which these are all things that happen after somebody's assaulted. If we're not addressing those things, then we're not really helping their emotions. Yeah. Right. Because now they're going to be triggered every time they get their period. Yeah. Every time they have sex or every time they have sex. Right. Like, so unless you're addressing the physical, you're not actually addressing the emotional. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that that makes me think about is the postpartum depression. Yeah. Okay, Nikki, I don't think that women are depressed postpartum. Oh I God. actually think that they're prolapsing. Yeah. I think they're dealing with infections. I, I think they have stitches that, that didn't heal. I think they had episiotomies that were done without their knowledge. Sometimes they're done without their knowledge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The trauma <laughs> like, that you go depression? through. Yeah. No, like there's not, there is not a mental health issue there. There's a physical health issue. Yeah. There. Like for, to send a woman. No, of course we did home birth. <laughs> yeah. But I did but, do a hostile birth. That was the most traumatic experience. But no then way. I also was like, it's not traumatic. It's not traumatic. But then you and I recounted, and I'm like, that was traumatic. That was traumatic. That, but you like want to tell yourself that it's not. Well, yeah, because we're trying to be okay. Yeah. I've oh done a lot of like, I did a really cool biodynamic craniosacral therapy series of sessions to go through healing the birth okay. that Finally, I could talk about it. Like I couldn't really talk about the experience. Um, luckily, I, I still had a vaginal birth, which is like something that was really important to me. But yeah, I think there's so much that happens against your will and you feel like you, you're just disempowered mm -hmm. and that your decision, it's always like, it's like, that's going to harm the baby. If you, you know what I mean? It's, oh, and yeah. then there's okay, a lot else that can happen once <laughs> They think that you're going to harm the baby by trying to make a decision that feels right for you and your baby. Yeah. Then all of a sudden CPS gets involved and there's a lot of other things that start okay. to happen. Can you say what CPS stands for? Child Protective Services. Okay. So you know about this? I mean, it happened to me. What? Yeah. What happened? Well, it's like something to do with my son and like a, and my daughter, they have a genetic condition. Yeah on paper and like you can't really tell but it's super rare but then um I just was like hey I'd, I'd like to go see a specialist that I'd like to go see you know myself tomorrow and then it became like this whole thing where I wasn't you know taking it seriously CPS is going to be called because I wanted to leave the hospital they had to come to my house to make sure I was like the right parent I was 28 years old just gave birth to my first child had no idea what was going on they were just like if you don't feed your child every 90 minutes, he'll die. But it just turns out that that's not that. I mean, yeah, getting into it is like crazy, but I didn't sleep for like eight months because I was nursing every like 90 minutes. I can't believe that happened to you. That happened to one of my friends. Yeah. And it's a thing that happens to everyone. I mean, not everyone, but it can happen to anyone. And it's important to be aware and especially of women of color. Yeah. It's it, women of color have gone through the ringer with it. That was when I literally said, I said, so if you came to my house and you thought my, I'm very lucky to have had the house that I have because I, that was the moment where I was like, so then just because I have this house, I seem like I'm a fit parent. But if I didn't have this house, I probably wouldn't have. Um, passed their test like they were like you have to have a crib in order to have this baby come home and I was like but like it's not a requirement to have a crib like again going back to ancient rituals right of like people co-sleeping forever but it's like just because the establishment doesn't agree with co-sleeping they wouldn't have given my child if I didn't 
have a crib at my house. Luckily I did. However, I like ended up co-sleeping, but it's just crazy. Like I, I, it's just taking the conversation back to this trauma that women are going through in the hospital setting oh that I, and gosh, I'm not saying Mickey. that the I'm hospital, so mad. yeah, the hospital is like, I understand if I broke my arm, I will want to go to the hospital to get it healed. You know, ideally yes. I'd have like my own doctor <laughs> Put friend it that helps together. Me. But of course there is a time and a place for Western medicine for sure. It's just, maybe we are going about it like that. It should be a last resort and we're using it as a first resort. And I think that's where you and I are trying to share this wisdom and information that has been around forever across cultures where we can finally say, listen, this was something that was healing for women to experience together with their mothers, with their aunts, with their grandparents, like all this wisdom that women can, I mean, other countries like, obviously, you know, the mo- the woman giving birth goes back and lives with her mom and the mother takes care. The grandmother takes care of the baby while the mom heals. It's beautiful. I don't want to be away from my husband. I wouldn't want to go back to my mom's house. Like that's not something I wanted to do, <laughs> but it's so nice to be taken care of. And it doesn't have to be this elitist thing that I think in this country we've made it like, Oh, LA people, and because it is so LA, obviously steaming, but oh, like Kourtney Kardashian is steaming now. Oh, it's like such an elitist thing. Oh, having for, care 40 days postpartum is such an elitist thing. But it's like, no, this is, this is the way it should be. Hey everyone, I am so excited to share with you a company that I've admired for so long called Shepherd's Dream. They've been devoted to making the highest quality all natural bedding on earth made from eco wool, organic cotton and responsibly sourced latex. The reason I love their heirloom quality mattresses so much is because not only are they free of anything harmful, chemical or synthetic, but they actually offer all wool, 100% wool mattresses that don't have any springs in them. And from some of my interviews in the past, I've actually learned that some of these springs can be conducting energy along with different telephone poles, wires, cell phone towers, things like that. So if you really want the most restful sleep that also is not conducting any energy in terms of EMFs, this is the mattress to go for, to have for your family so that you're wrapped in pure, safe, healthy, luxurious comfort that's gonna last for years. Discover the practical magic of mattresses and bedding that honor you and the earth. For 10% off your Shepherd's Dream order, use code THEFULLEST at checkout. This is women's care. This is gynecology. This is actually true gynecology. You can't take what women have done since the beginning of time until now. Throw it out in the 1800s and look at what happens. You get sent home from the hospital. If you follow all their directions, yeah. you get sent home good. If yeah. you reject anything, then they worry that you're not a fit mother, yeah. right? That's a, a special thing. <laughs> People don't even know that though. So I'm so glad that we're minorities sharing. go through, yeah. right? Like a, a yeah, special your, extra step, yeah. right? And then when is your checkup? Six weeks. You know, a lot of people die within the first 16 days postpartum. Oh my God. Like when you're looking at mortality, the, the issue with maternal mortality, it's that first 16 days. Like it's not just during childbirth. It's also that first 16 days. 
Um, do you know of Layla B and her great book? She has this book, Reclaim, Restore, and she's no, she's Moroccan. Oh, cool. And what she was, she's been basically investigating like the traditional Moroccan, like wow. you know, um, like birth practices mm-hmm. and and bringing them back into her because you know she's educated on all this and all the you know according to her like all the modern Moroccans are throwing away these traditions oh and she's gosh. like but they're beautiful traditions that we need you know, mm-hmm. and um, but one of the one of the sayings is that within the first forty days after giving birth the grave is open wow wow so can you imagine that you would send somebody home and then not see them until about 40 days that six weeks god you know that's that's when the blood pressure goes up that's when the infections happen that's when the hemorrhaging happens because there's retained matter in there that wasn't cleaned out because nobody's steaming yeah. right like all of that is what ha- like that's within that the, the according to the study that i that i was researching about the causes of death during maternal mortality those are the first 16 days oh my gosh yeah and the top three reasons are hemorrhaging which happens when there's everything hasn't been flushed out yeah um infection sepsis you know it's like basically an infection like a fever that then turns really bad gets into the you know and then and then the third one is um eclampsia but basically the blood pressure goes really high and then and then it results in heart strokes postpartum oh yeah it can happen during birth it can ha- and they can happen postpartum as well. Wow. Maternal mortality rates, it's not actually just like, oh, somebody might die in birth. It's actually happening in the postpartum. Yeah. And, and would you say that those infections that are happening are a result of surgery? Or would you say that it's um, an infection can come from just a vaginal, natural vaginal birth? If you leave the lochia, the lochia is the postpartum yeah. discharge. So, okay. So like when you look at like, you know, traditional like postpartum care steaming is involved Mm -hmm. some midwives steam the the earliest i learned was of this old granny midwife out in the south Mm -hmm. like within the black community yeah she steams her clients two times within the first 24 hours wow so what happens is when steaming like that and that soon it's no it's you have to do it with a qualified practitioner let me just Mm -hmm. put that disclaimer right now like a qualified midwife who knows when it's safe it's not always safe to steam that soon right yeah but what happens is all of that you know like after somebody gives birth they still have discharge that needs Mm -hmm. to come out all of that pregnancy fluids that you know need to come out and you know in the western model and western gynecology thinks that it should take about six weeks for that to all come out so that's why they come back at six weeks yeah right but when you steam all of those clots all of that fluids all the amniotic fluids you know come out but also if there's any retained placenta it comes out yeah i was gonna say so what happens if there's any retained placenta then um, or or anything else then um the body can flush with blood in order to try to get it out Mm -hmm. so in steaming like in that immediate postpartum, it makes it so there's not that risk of yeah. hemorrhaging. Which is what could cause. So the yeah. infection, again, the infection. if there's all that stuff in there, it can get infected. Yeah. In fact, I actually think that's why people get so many infections. In like, general. In general, because we, we don't have like these good uterine cleanses. So there's a lot of old menses in there, like the black, the brown, the yeah. clots, the cramps. Those are all signs there's old uterus, uh, old menses in there. So anytime there's anything in there, it can get infected. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the same thing postpartum. So I actually had an infection with my second childbirth, a Loki infection. No so way. You're just kind of like going along and it's all normal. But then all of a sudden, like something's not right. You know, like 
I mean, like, I'm, I, I, again, I'm still private. I hate talking about it, but like, <laughs> it didn't smell good. Okay. Uh-huh. okay <laughs> like, yeah. it was like something smells bad. How long postpartum? <laughs> it was one week. Wow. And my midwife was like, oh yeah, that's when the infections happen. Wow. She was like, yeah, the, you know, she's like, if you know, once you get around seven to 10 days, that's when the infection hits, you know, if there's going to be one, right? Like no, I'm midwives just... <laughs> know this, right? Yeah. So that's why they're there that first week after. And they're really looking at you at that time to make sure there's no infection. Wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just laughing because after my first birth they like stitched me up because I had like a second degree tear and I just remember just crying because I was like they stitched me up I don't have a like vagina anymore because I like couldn't look I couldn't bring myself to look because it was like so painful and terrifying so I was like I'm not gonna look I'm not gonna and so I was like I'm pretty sure like there's no opening anymore and I I would cry about it because I literally believed that they messed up and there was no opening but I didn't want to think or talk about it so I would just cry and that just made me think about I just like now I can laugh about it but at the time it was just so sad so painful so terrifying you're just like what is going on especially after your first time giving birth I mean having the opportunity to work with people who can support you instead of you know just I'll see you in six weeks because for six weeks I basically even though I steamed like for six weeks I was like I'm screwed and then I went to my six week checkup he's like okay great like you can have sex now and I was like I'm not even thinking about that I literally just thought that there was no opening (laughs) it was so crazy but yeah second time around I was a little different but I I was gonna ask you like why do women I, they said this was normal. Like I had such gnarly contractions the second time around postpartum. Yeah. So I'm curious why, if you happen to know if it's different for everyone, if it's always like more intense, this, it was to me, it felt more intense than when I was actually in labor. I mean, I would just be like, I can't handle this. What is going on? Whereas like my labor was so fast. I was, it felt so fast and peaceful because it was at home. And I liked having my own environment and bath and yeah. everything. But yeah, I felt like um, I'm curious if that's just because you have more blood. I don't know. Did you build? Is it when people build more blood and then more needs to come out? So the contractions are more intense or? Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. So the uterus contracts when there's something stuck inside of it. So yeah. like even during the period, we call them cramps. I don't know where that term comes from, but it's contract. It's contracting. The uterus mm-hmm. contracts anytime anything is stuck. So the postpartum contractions were a sign that something was stuck. That so the postpartum sense. contractions can be intense. I actually, cr- okay, I didn't cry during childbirth. I was cool. I was strong. Yeah. You know, I, was just, I was doing what I was doing. And then my big old baby came out. My big old 10 pound baby oh came out gosh. and she was looking at me she was like a trip you know it was like she was all present you know was yeah. like wow like i don't know kind of i don't know it kind of felt like like an alien yeah <laughs> was like, oh no, my god like, there's wow. a baby here looking at me you know and then as i, as I was like looking at the baby trying to orient to this like what had just happened this contraction hit me a postpartum contraction hit me and it took me out i told my husband i was like get the baby yeah <laughs> i was like get the baby and i was like what's happening you know because like i think i was breathing during labor where i was like at this point i was like hyperventilating <laughs> what's happening why does this hurt so bad and i wasn't expecting it and it was 
I mean, it was the placenta. It was this huge placenta. The second wow. one wasn't as big as this one. This, yeah. ba- this first baby, everything was big. <laughs> so I hit, I got hit by that contraction and that one knocked me out. And I, I think it was also, it was unexpected. You know, I think that was why it was so unmanageable. Like, for example, when you were giving birth, you were in your bathtub. Mm-hmm. You had your support mm-hmm. team there. Like, you were comfortable. Whereas if you're just like, you know, trying to nurse your baby or, you know, trying to like make some food, like you weren't expecting those postpartum contractions. I yeah, think that's yeah. part of like what, like, again, but do we talk about this enough? Like, we don't know, you know what I mean? Like we go through all this stuff and then like when you share it with your mom or your grandma, like, they're like, oh yeah, you know, or the aunties are like, oh yeah, that does happen. I know, but, but like, they it's don't not... actively talk about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because shared. women are, are taught not yeah. to, like think about all the things you shared with me already today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to just like, like talk about, I mean, I kind of do because I like to, <laughs> but yeah same yeah. but like I was just thinking I was like I'm so grateful she's sharing this experience on this podcast because like there's other people who have gone through all of those things right and the same with me right the things that I'm sharing and I think that's one of the that's one of the things about our work right yeah. and doing this education is that like everybody comes like out of the woodwork like oh my god that happened to me and I thought I was crazy or I thought I was insane or like I never told anybody right and it's just like it's because we don't normalize being a woman like yeah. our and, society hasn't normalized being a woman and so some of it seems so ira- I mean it's so irrational to think I'm fully closed up like it doesn't make sense but that's just what you're feeling at that time and oh you know it's just the other thing is some of these doctors close people up too tight yeah so it's actually this thing it's horrific was it okay like I'm like pause to think about whether or not I share this or not because it's really traumatic but like doctors they do something called the husband stitch Oh, yeah. I've, and, and so, again, I don't know if that's what happened to you or whatever. But, like, ultimately, when they stitch women up, sometimes they do stitch her up too tight. And, um, like, I actually, one of my early clients um, was the first one. She was actually, she was in her, um, like, 60s, and she was dealing with prolapse. So the way that that's dealt with by doctors is they they do a surgery. So they will cut, like, some of the skin off of the vaginal canal, like, that's oh my gosh. The, what's prolapsing. And then they stitch it up and they stitch it up tighter, right? And when she says that her husband said that when the doctors came out, the surgeons, they were like, we made her nice and tight. Like, you're going to love her now. Like, that's horrible. They were saying, and, and she said, the, like, her husband was like, that's gross. Like, yeah. you know, whatever. She was so tight that she wasn't oh. able to have penetrate. She wasn't able to have sex at all. <gasps> they had stitched her up too tight. Oh, my gosh. So it is a thing. <laughs> And it is a thing. And then it was um, like, I don't know when, like, you know, again, I would have to go into like, I would have to do more research about it. But basically, like, I don't know, in like the 40s, 50s, you know, when doctors were stitching women up afterwards, they would do, they would go, and we're adding an extra stitch in there for the husband. And they would stitch up women too tight. That's horrible. It's like awful. Yeah. Because what was happening, like with this client was that she was tearing open every time oh they tried my to. Gosh. so she was bleeding every time you know and like and and with steaming she was able to her and her husband were able to be intimate again oh my with goodness. steaming that's so because steaming creates elect- elasticity yeah you know and so it was making the skin more supple and i think it also helped to soften the scar tissue at least that's what happened in her case so it helped to soften the scar tissue it made the skin more elastic and they would steam right before sex I so mean, anyway so what you were saying wasn't completely off the yeah. fact that you were scared about you know like what was going on down there but also the stitches like one of the findings of the fourth trimester vaginal steam study which was a study where we took a group of women and we steamed them postpartum and then we compared them to a group of women who hadn't steamed postpartum um one of the findings was that all of the people who steamed their postpartum contractions 
they had zero postpartum contractions at six Whoa. weeks. The non-STEAM group still had, <gasps> was dealing with postpartum contractions at six weeks. Wow. Contractions are a sign that everything is out. So those, the non-STEAM group basically never even got their uterine cleanse. Okay, so uterine cleanse. Okay, uterine cleanse. The period is a uterine cleanse. Mm -hmm. The word period comes from um, anth male anthropologists in the 1800s who decided to study women and said that women have a periodic illness from time to time. That's, that was their way of describing the period. That's where that word term comes from. The period, what we know as the period, is actually a uterine cleanse. So we go through a uterine cleanse once a month. And then we go through a uterine cleanse postpartum, but the postpartum uterine cleanse lasts, lasts for a month. Mm -hmm. And every single culture around the entire world knows, like the, when, when we were in women's care, knows what's required for a proper uterine cleanse, warmth. Mm -hmm. okay certain foods so every culture around the world and i love this i would love to like maybe when i retire i want to just do a cookbook where yeah. we just look at like postpartum, postpartum cuisine postpartum actually yeah. i was gonna tell you you should do that like i could see you I doing that because been... you were diving into like the foods that your mom yeah. ate and the important things and there's this one persian dish i've had it's um parsley with the red kidney the beans parsley it's my favorite and Gorma the Zabzi. Gorma it's Zabzi. my favorite like that's such a perfect and postpartum red kidney beans i didn't even think about yeah how and one of my is. persian friends was like well i know that we eat gourmet yeah. zapsi postpartum and i was like oh my gosh and i swear every time i have my my period every time i have my uterine cleanse i'm i'm craving it because it's Aww. and when you look at the postpartum cuisine around the world whether it's chicken tortilla soup in mexico or gourmet zapsi in iran etc etc it's such a fun little project oh mm -hmm. in korea they do like the seaweed soup and yeah. it's so it's such a fun little project to look at mm -hmm. that cuisine and a lot of times sadly a lot of the stuff falls into old wives tales of like you're not supposed to eat that but eat this during this time and like you know we're like oh that's like old knowledge that doesn't have any no it makes sense like these are foods what i notice about all the postpartum cuisine is that it has vitamin c um b vitamins and iron those are the three iron, things yeah. needed to replenish mm -hmm. a woman's blood and energy mm -hmm. after giving birth and because we create more blood in order to create the baby, we, we have to make more blood and we also have to make more blood during the period. Mm -hmm. So there are like biological reasons, physiological reasons and scientific reasons why we actually need, you know, those types of foods at that time, mm -hmm. you know? So anyway, so it's so like, beautiful. that's yeah. where, you know, you were talking about like this inside and outside beauty and like also understanding these ancient rituals that, you know, they're a part of creating that, like all of it makes sense scientifically, mm -hmm. but it just hasn't been studied. Exactly. It hasn't it. been studied, but science would support it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I, and that's why I love you that you did the fourth um, trimester uh, study. study. I think yeah. it's so important because there aren't any easily accessible studies. To, I mean, there are like you've compiled a, a lot, but and I love looking at those. But I feel like yours is just yeah. Thank you for knowing that. Like most people, you know, like the media and and Google has all kinds of articles now if you type type in vaginal steaming. But um but it's mainly because like Gwyneth Paltrow and the Kardashians yeah. and like some stars have learned about it now. And I'm actually not mad at them. Like honestly, so many people learn about steaming because the Kardashians steam. Yeah. And so it's and like good, cool. Yeah. Like fine, if that's our entry point. Exactly. <laughs> you know? That's what that's I always say too. It's you know, as long as it the information is getting out there even if it's being poo-pooed on or yeah. being called a certain just that it's out there that that's a thing you know as long as you can if 
that way you can Google vaginal steaming and get to see me chick and then really learn about it right. if you're interested. So what the articles say over and over again is there's no scientific evidence mm -hmm. that this is beneficial. And there is actually, there are studies. There's yeah. about, you know, 10 studies mo mainly done in other languages. Yeah. And if we also went to like Korea and China, there's probably more studies that I haven't even been able to find, you know, mm -hmm. in English. But there are studies. There's studies that show that steaming, um, like there was one that I was looking at um, in the case of endometriosis um, in Korea that recently came out. And what they were finding is that when they do um, laparoscopic removal of the endometriosis, which is a bad uterine disorder where somebody is dealing with very bad uterine um, cramps and that basically their uterus is growing the lining in the wrong places, when they remove that, it always comes right back, okay? And so- And I'm sure scar tissue and all that. Yes, and then you also yeah. have all the risks of surgery, yeah. right? And so in Korea, they did a study where they took- where they followed one group who did endometriosis surgery and steamed afterwards. That group didn't have recurrence wow. of the endometriosis after, I think it was eight years. They didn't have recurrence. Whereas the group that just did the endometriosis surgery um, did have recurrence, mm -hmm. almost all of them. And so when you look at this, we have, we have to understand there's a disconnect in between steaming and gynecology as this, you know, fringe thing, you know, or this like, holistic thing versus like scientific thing only because of the way that modern gynecology developed and that men took over and didn't learn what was happening prior. But like in Korea, they mixed the two. And what you find is that it's integrated, mm -hmm. you know, like there's not like this main like difference between it. And so it's really incredible to see how much better the results are, right? Like, because ultimately um, what doctors want is like, you know, happy patients, healthy patients, yeah. right? And better outcomes, right? Like, so it's not something that's like, like against medicine. It's not something that's yeah. against science. But we do have to understand very little research money is put into women's health. I found uh, a statistic, you know, again, I don't know if it's correct, but the only 1% of all medical research funding goes towards women's health issues. Wow. Out of that 1%, when you look at what's being studied, it's almost all pharmaceuticals. <sighs> so yes, the, you know, nobody has prioritized steaming, right? Like nobody's put any money into studying it. So that's why, <laughs> so that's why me and Kimberly came together and we crowdfunded just wow. among our own community. Like let's, let's study this you know mm -hmm. and so we did our own study which is the first ever study ever done about vaginal steaming in the united states and um and the results were incredible now of course we're prejudiced right mm -hmm. so like the most the best and it was only a trial study it mm -hmm. only had like six people in each group mm -hmm. right so we really need it to be done you know again another trial study with at least 30 people in each group but i'm not even the best person to do that because i believe that steaming works right yeah. so that's a, also oh, that's considered like it's not subjective, bias, yeah, right? It's yeah. considered a bias, right? But I'm like, okay, so somebody do, do it, it. please. Yeah. Like, who's going to do this? Like, this is, like, what are we, like, what are they, right now, like, there's all this talk about maternal mortality. I'm like, fine, if you guys are worried about mortality, study steaming. Yeah. Look at this study. Like, there are solutions to every single cause of mortality if steaming was offered, mm -hmm. you know, during childbirth and postpartum, because the other thing is um, steaming, it can be used for labor. So for example, that tear that you went through, um, what they're finding in the Czech Republic, where they've started now integrating steaming into the, 
maternity wards is that people aren't tearing who choose to steam so like if somebody goes to the hospital um then you know they just say okay here's your you know you have your suite you know your labor and delivery room and then they're like and here's a steam sauna in case you want to steam and then the nurses will do it or you know instruct the the mom how to do it and it's just something that she could do because you know like when you're in labor and you're waiting like you just need something to do sometimes and what they're finding is the moms are having less pain they're having a lot more like they're able to manage you know like the pain yeah a lot better they're they're having shorter labors well shorter labors protects both the mom and the baby mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like yeah that's why they're always like exactly. we're gonna do a cesarean yeah, or we're gonna do you long. because the, the baby yeah. yeah like the baby yeah. could be in distress right yeah so they're having shorter labors they told me on average now again i need to go and i need to like do more research and understand what's going on but they say, they're saying on average the the um, labors are six hours. What? That's incredible. <laughs> and then the last point is that the women aren't tearing. Wow. So then I was like, I keep on checking in with like the folks in the Czech Republic, and I'm like, still no tearing, still six hours. Any transfers to cesarean? And um, the last time I talked to Dula Monica Valova, she was like, actually, she's like, because now it's so many hospitals. Yeah. She's like, so they're dealing with so many different situations. She said, um, she said, I think that there ha- there has been some tearing and there have been some transfers. But when we're looking at how many people steamed during labor, was it one percent? Was it less than one percent? Mm-hmm. Even if it was five, you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a small number that are getting transferred or having any tearing yeah. or who are, whose labors are going over six hours because they were like sometimes they're quicker than six hours, but we'll just say six hours like to to keep it a safe number. That is a dream. A six hour right. labor is like the perfect amount of time. So now you've protected the mom during mm-hmm. childbirth. You've protected the baby. You've protected her afterwards. Like this makes sense. Mm-hmm. This absolutely makes sense. It's already part of gynecology. All of the, like that, that book from the 1100s is called the Trotula. And, um, Trotula? It was, yeah, it was called Trotula. And it had a lot of steaming in it. It was written by the first female physician who yeah. then like, you know, trained other physicians. And she wrote this book called Trotula. And it has all these steaming remedies, including for labor. That book was considered the Bible of gynecology. That was the gold standard for gynecology oh all throughout Europe. I need it. That was the Italian book you were talking about? Yeah. yeah. Oh All throughout Europe, that was the absolute well, standard the for gynecology. Is, I so love it's that. Like also, not, it's not that it's not part of gynecology. Yeah. It just got dropped. Well, that's the other thing is Europe is still, you know, so many women are still referring to female physicians or midwives um, for their care rather than in the United States. It's, you know, I think less than 10% maybe. It's low. Yeah. Whereas there, I'm pretty sure I thought it was like 70%. Wow, that's amazing. So they have so much more wisdom along um, around them than we have access to. Yeah, but a lot of it got lost over there too. Yeah, still. Because what had happened was there's this other book uh, by Monica Green, and you've got to get this one too. It's Making Women's Medicine. It's Making... I forget what it's called, but it's basically like um, making women's medicine male, I think is what it's called. And it's basically how gynecology transferred from women's hands to men's hands. Mm -hmm. And basically there was all these laws that were passed that made it illegal to practice medicine unless you were a medical doctor. Well, at that time, only men were medical doctors because they were the only ones in the universities. Women weren't even allowed to go to universities. So you very effectively had this very fast transfer over and at that time i think a lot of times we know the history of the witch hunts and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and i think we still have like signs of that in our culture right every halloween you know ding dong the witch is dead yeah what is that 
they were killing all of the women <laughs> healers and we're singing a it. lot of the midwives died or went underground at that time so like the information wasn't safe yeah you know like um a lot of first of all a lot of the knowledge was killed off um and secondly it it's not it became unsafe for us as women to take care of ourselves right like i mean look at like how people respond steaming like i don't even think steaming is a big deal I've been I doing know. it for like 10 it's, years. It's like, it's not a big deal. To me, it's like as, tea. you know, unique it's as drinking some tea, tea washing yeah. my hair, I do my steam. Like, it's not a big deal. And but people get freaked <laughs> out. They freak out. They freak They're out. so scared. And it's like, it's just steam. And But look at what they say. Like, I was flabbergasted at the things they said about Gwyneth Paltrow when, yeah. she's, when she shared that she goes to the Korean spa and steams. I was like, oh my gosh. And everybody's just, just like, Gwyneth Paltrow is not a gynecologist. If you have a problem, go to the doctor or have so an crazy. orgasm. I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just so, so many weird comments and calling her such bad names. And I don't know if part of that has to do with like how people perceive her in general or her brand. I'm not sure. I only really got familiar with Gwyneth Paltrow when all these people sent me these articles out in 2015. I'd already been steaming for like yeah. five years. Like, did you know steaming could kill you? Did you know steaming causes infections? And I'm like, it's done none of that. Like, you know, but like these articles so are just so like, it's just so, like so out of place. You know what I mean? Like they were just so filled with misinformation. And anyways, it was just really, um, it was just really interesting to me because I was like, why are people responding like this? Like, why is she like a, bad name because she said that she goes to the korean spot and does a steam you know what i mean like i was like how could and i so i started to really try to understand like what is people's like why do people have this visceral response like They're when scared. women share something that they say is helpful for healthy for them I mean, but ultimately oh it's gosh. because it's yeah. ultimately it's because we're talking about our vaginas and i want to get back into like really quickly the benefits in terms of utis and infections let's because, talk about it yeah i feel like <laughs> That's kind of been the main thing that so many women, I mean, other than cramping, like, okay, I think that cramps, oh, that's the way it really helped me. I used to be like bedridden and it's insane. Like my period is literally only four days long, fresh red blood, no cramps. And it's because of steaming and it's the optimized period. And I think, and we've shared about that too, where it's like, hey, you guys, cramping isn't normal. And we've gotten a lot of people who've been upset with us. But it's like, just because it happens to so many <laughs> women doesn't mean that we need to normalize women being in pain. Yeah. So yes, that's one aspect of it. And I think our community has really learned a lot about that and has come to steaming for that specific reason to a, for a proper womb cleanse. And so I, I really want to talk about like the other side of it because okay. I don't wear tampons. I wear diapers. Like I wear period underwear, right? And then I call it my diaper and my daughter <laughs> like brings it to me. It's hilarious. Oh my God. But, yeah. My daughter like, mommy diaper, mommy diaper. And it's like oh my God. so nice because she's in diapers too. Yeah. She's like, yeah, exactly. We're one in <laughs> the same. It's a bonding moment. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, so the two things before we like really close out the conversation yeah. for me would really be this idea of um, womb care aside from steaming yeah. that you have shared a lot of wisdom on um, and that will support like the overall practice and then also yeah. and support steaming in general and then just the infection conversation around okay let's say I've had recurring infections obviously there's so many reasons like we touched on so what are your recommendations for someone that has an active infection, okay. obviously, um, like in terms of the RX for it, but also how to prevent it 
from coming back. Yeah, infection is interesting. That was like, so I started telling people about postpartum steaming and that's when I, I thought people would, I thought that would catch on and people were just like, like, like even my friends, like, it's fine if I have any issues, like I'll call you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like weirdo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. But like the emails and like me- social media messages that came flooding into me were about infections. Yeah. Specifically bacterial vaginosis. So, um, okay. So we have bacterial vaginosis, um, yeast infections, urinary tract infections, and um, they're all a little bit different, but you just want me to talk about them in general. Yeah. Just in general on how to use steaming to support and like if, and I know that we don't want to necessarily say don't take an antibiotic or anything, but speaking to someone who's been on 10 antibiotics and is over it, like, you know, (laughs) I mean, not, that's not me, but there are many women that have, and I, I, that happened to me when I first started having sex where I would get um, a UTI and I would just take an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about anything. My sister's boyfriend's dad was a physician. She just had like drawers of antibiotics. (laughs) Literally. No, I was taking unprescribed antibiotics like because it was so recurrent All and then it just you were stopped. Desperate. All I did was just pee after my, you know. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. That's different though, obviously. And also how come that information isn't readily available? <laughs> okay, anyways. Yeah, okay. So, um so yeah, okay. So, first of all, like that situation in particular, a lot of people deal with it. Now I know, right? Because of this, you know, because I I do steaming work. This is one of the reasons I love in-home steaming. So for example, like you make a kit that Mm -hmm. people can take home. Is this is it? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, you know, there's a kit, there's the, um, the pot, like, and, and you, and you have the herbs. Having something at home is wonderful because then after sex, people who have had these infections, they can steam afterwards. And there are people who pee, who urinate after and still get the infection. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it can be very helpful, like in that way. That's like this like cute little way to use it that changes people's lives. So they don't have to deal with those infections, you know? Um, And it's very effective. Like it's like, I've never recommended that somebody and then they continue to have that problem, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's at least I've seen that be very effective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is that people can steam. um, So, so if sex is the trigger, then you steam post-sex before the infection comes on, right? Um, but yeah, like in general, like, I mean, I'll just have to break them down. Like bacterial vaginosis has a lot of discharge, okay? Mm-hmm. A lot of green discharge, maybe, you know, also some white, some yellow, whatever. I think that the antibiotics actually work. You're, mm-hmm. you're, putting, you're, you're putting antibiotics into the body. So they kill the infection, right? But then it comes back back even my obstetrician like was like does steaming help with bacterial vaginosis because i just people come back over and over again and i just switch their antibiotics and then i have to switch back and she was just like and it's just pretty like hopeless like she herself isn't satisfied yeah with exactly. what she's offering people right but what i've seen with um, bacterial vaginosis is that when somebody steams or what i have people do is i'll have them steam like consecutive days until all of the discharge comes out but mind you they only steam for like five minutes yeah, okay yeah. every day because because if they steam too long, it could, you know, cause issues. Mm-hmm. So they steam every day for like five minutes and until all the discharge comes out. And usually the discharge is completely gone within five days, 10 days. One case I had, she was a tough cookie. Like she had to steam <laughs> for like 45 days. Whoa. She had to pause during her period. Then she started steaming Whoa. again. 45 days, she was finally discharge free. And she was just like, are you sure? I mean, I can't be discharge free. I've never been discharge free. I'm like, let's just keep going. Whoa. <laughs> and she steamed and got all of the discharge out. And guess what? Well, she had all three, the BV, the 
UTIs oh and the gosh. infections. They All went gone. away. And then Just also me. we use the as maintenance. So the second yeah. that she starts to see discharge, right? Like like a couple of weeks later, she 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 saw some discharge. She's like, okay, so you do your steam. So she's able to steam and use that as maintenance yeah. prior to the infection coming on. So my theory about it is that if that if you leave the mucus in there even while taking the antibiotics um like all that like excess mucus is just like Congealer. a party yeah. zone for like bacteria for yeah. the bad stuff right so it's just like woo okay well oh we all died <laughs> off and it's just like one of them is like yeah okay but we're back right and just party again right so you like the, the uterus and uh, is like just a host a, a wonderful host for bad bacteria you clear out that discharge and you kill the bacteria mm -hmm. you know the bad bacteria you're not going to have that recurrence anyways that's what people have found and so the the number one like media article that people really um or you know, misinformation in the media is that steaming will cause the pH balance to be thrown off and cause a higher rate of infections. And what we have to understand is that's not based on any, any research. That's not based on any evidence. And it's not even based on women's experiences. Because we could go, if I did a call out right now for people who have used steaming to help with their bacterial vaginosis, hundreds of stories will come flooding mm -hmm. in because so many people have found it effective. Like, you know, women don't use things that don't work yeah you know what i mean especially amidst like this environment where everybody's telling us not to do it there's a real reason why it continues to grow yeah. and it continues to grow like out of hand, mm -hmm. like wildfire I, I can't even believe how many people know about it now versus like you know when, when i first started. started yeah and so um so anyway so that's like that's my theory on how it works with bacterial vaginosis yeast infections the same thing sometimes they have like clumpy, like kind of cottage cheese discharge that comes out with it. Or sometimes somebody can um, test positive for it without even having that discharge. So sometimes those people are fun because if they <laughs> steam, um, a lot of times this, the, the, again, they can only steam for like five minutes. They can't steam for it's long. It's uncomfortable yeah. or yeah. It, it could, it causes too much heat. Yeah. And they already have heat in their mm -hmm. body. So you only want them to do it for a few minutes. Okay. But what happens is that they're able to get rid of their yeast infection or what people have reported is that it goes away faster then um you know faster and it um also even if it comes back it doesn't come back as strong you know mm -hmm. but then they're able to use the steaming to get it to go away faster but then all of this there's a root to these infections that has to do with food so for example like somebody hit me up last week actually one of my like clients and was like okay i figured it out she's like every time i drink alcohol is when i get a uti which brings us to the next one, UTIs. The steaming hits the whole entire pelvic region. Actually, I, you know, the term that like is most catching on is like pelvic steaming. Yeah. It's hitting the whole pelvic area, yeah. you know? And so I think it's, you know, it, that term is, is a more appropriate term for vaginal steaming. Mm -hmm. But anyways, it hits the urethra too. And again, if there's anything, and there's holes, there's a hole in the urethra, there's a hole in the vagina, there's a hole in the cervix. So steaming can get, steaming All can get it. into anything, you know? So steaming is getting into those areas. And then even better when you put antibacterial herbs or antiviral herbs or, um, or anti, uh, fungal herbs, right? Yeah. So you're putting these herbs in there. So you're topically, you're topically killing, anything that the steam cups into contact with. And then also there's, there's some evidence and also like what the old book says that the herbs also enter the bloodstream mm -hmm. because of the like yeah, mucosa. The vessel, yeah. yeah. Like because it, so anyway, so, so you're, you're getting the antibiotics if you put antibacterial herbs into the steaming yeah. basically. So it's you're getting the natural both plus version. also the topical plus pulling out any excess mucus or dirt or bacteria. And also let's also talk about men like do mints, 
wash off before they have sex with us? I mean, are they putting semen? I, sorry, are they putting urine right, yeah. right in there? You know what I mean? Like, this is another thing I wish we talked about, but like so many people are getting infections from their partners. Yeah. And it's really important that the man washes off beforehand, mm -hmm. you know, like like you, you know, know you i mean know? so many men don't even like they don't even, like they urinate and they don't like so then if sex yeah. happened like did you know so what i mean like funny. basically urine is being introduced and that reminds me about the yeast infections what happens with the yeast infections sometimes people steam and then the cot like this cottage cheese discharge comes out and then they think oh steaming caused that there's no way that steam creates cottage cheese discharge it's <laughs> yeah. steam it's water it doesn't create cheese you know yeah. what i mean like it doesn't create mucus it helped it to come out. Yeah. And then once that comes out, then the person can actually be infection free and it's less likely to come back. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's all kinds of uses for it, for infections. And honestly, that's, I think, I think that's the area where people have been like one of the areas where people are the least satisfied. And I think that's one of the reasons, like definitely been a big entry point to people trying steaming, you yeah. know, because of infections. Yeah. I just love everything that you share and I'm so, so happy we're able to finally meet in person and I'm looking forward to just the, you know, work that you're continuing to do and anyway, like we can be part of it. Just let us know. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Likewise. Let us know how people can connect with you right now though. I'm sure there's so many people interested in your courses too. Yeah. You can go to steamychick.com and we didn't get to talk too much about womb class womb care but, but i have a free more. class on womb care oh, actually awesome. yeah and so um go to steamychick.com and um and then on instagram i'm at steamychick okay well, thank you